I would just say the whole the whole experience of meeting everybody and just spending time at the camp and just being a part of it, Robin. You know, I mean, I think what in, what inspires everybody about Barclay is so many ultra. When we do ultra running and we do these long races and these big challenges, for me personally, I think it's because there's always a chance of failure. That's what drives you to it. So it's if it was easy, it's not really a challenge. This is why this I think inspires so many people and inspires the best out there because it really has the the. the, the chance of failure is very very realistic and very probable in this there's nothing else like it like that if it's a 99% failure rate or something like that 90 plus anyway so I think that's the great thing about it that's why it's so inspiring so it's just it's like an itch you just scratch you just can't stop scratching it you just want to do it more and more and see how far you can actually push yourself that my friend was Graham Black and this is the Inspirational Runners podcast. Hey everyone, how you all doing? My name's Robbie Marsh and I'm your host, so welcome back to the podcast. We have a great episode for you this week with local lad Graham Black, who finally gets to realize a dream as he takes part in the 2022 Barclay Marathons. Graham is no stranger to the Frozen Head Park in Tennessee as he'd raced there in the Barclay Four Classic. However, this time he returns to compete alongside some of the world's most informed ultra runners in the main Barclay Marathon event. I'm not going to introduce the race as I'm guessing you'll all know it by now, but if not, check out The Race That Eats Its Young on YouTube where you'll find some great footage on the race and more importantly, the race director, Lazarus Lake. Before we start, I'd just like to give a shout out to XL Sports and the Seven Sisters Skyline, which is fast becoming Ireland's greatest mountain race. The main event is the 55km scramble across the Derry Bay Mountains in Donegal, which has just over 4,000 metres of elevation. The race is being held on the 21st of May and XL Sports has put up a €5,000 prize fund, which included a €1,000 for first female and male runners. There is also a smaller 30km event which is now part of the World Cup calendar which takes in all seven of the seven sisters from Muckish to Errigal and all Inspirational Runner followers can gain 10% discount with the code INSPIRE10. I've been lucky enough to survive both the long and short distance event and I look forward to throwing my hat back into the ring of May so hopefully see you there. Without further delay, I give you Graham Black and the Barkley Marathons. It started for me whenever I first watched the documentary in around 2015, 2016. And I just thought this was the most phenomenal thing I've ever seen. Just was blown away by the, how different it was. And from that, really, I got into running and then ultra running. And um, actually, this this is a great story about it. And the, your podcast actually helped. So I was listening to um, Michael Shields' podcast on the Barclay Fall Classic. So that's when I realized there was a Barclay Fall Classic. Because although I watched the documentary on the Barclay Marathons, never did I imagine I would ever be able to run it. Although I dreamt it would be great, but I never thought I would actually ever have a chance of having a place. So whenever I seen it, there was a Barclay Fall Classic, I thought, fantastic. There's a chance of getting to run at Frozen Head State Park and actually take in some of that because getting to the actual Bar- Barclay Marathons just seemed impossible at that point. Because yeah, the Barclay Classic, for those who don't know, it's one loop of the Barclay Marathon. It gives an opportunity for... I don't know how many runners they have. Like maybe did it have as many as two hundred? No, it's a, I think it's even more. I think it's close to four hundred. They would have okay. on the on the BFC. Um, and it it's it the, the difference with it is it's all on the trails on the park trails. Um, so it although you'll cover some major features that might appear in in the Barclay Marathons, like Ratjaw, for example, which is well known. It's predominantly all on trails, whereas the Barclay Marathons is probably eighty to ninety percent off trail. 
Um, whenever you're actually on trail, Laz calls that candy ass trail. He says that's easy, <laughs> although they're, they're challenging them themselves. So it's a great opportunity for people to enter that. There's still quite a long waiting list on that. Um, yeah. But you get there, you go to Frozen Head Park, you meet Laz. Flip six, what more do you mm-hmm. want? Like, um, the winner of that has the potential of getting through to the Barkley Marathon. You can't say that they will get in, um, but generally yeah. they do. <laughs> Um, yeah. but Laz obviously lets that person hang out to dry as well and doesn't let them know until that, that letter goes out. I think, was it 2009? I actually got into the Barclay Classic. So uh-huh. it's hard to even work out what year it was what during the COVID situation. So I was a very similar boat to yourself. Two years in a row, knocked out of the Barclay Classic. Um, super excited to get into that and win it again this year. Um, but you had been to the Barclay Classic. You'd been two years in a row then with Michael Shields. Michael Shields was on the podcast on the Barclay Classic. Michael lives half a mile up the road from me, and I wanted to kick him in the nuts when I found it had been. But anyway, yeah, <laughs> different story. I remember story. that actually. I remember you reminding him of that on the podcast. <laughs> um, but yeah, 2019, I went to be at the Barclay Fall Classic, and I was standing in the get. There's a gift store in Frozen Head State Park, and I was speaking to the guard behind the counter. And Michael was obviously in the shop, but I didn't know he was in the shop at this point. But he's heard my accent and obviously seen my name on the list. And he says, are you green and black? And then that's how we that's how we met. And then he ends up being my crew at the, the Barclay Marathon. So it's a pretty cool thing. So that's one loop. So you did experience that one loop that year. Yeah. So my story, again, is quite funny with that too. So you, you get, you, there's a cutoff point where you reach last. It's known as the decision point. And if you reach him within the cutoff time, you can either carry on, finish a marathon or carry on and do a 50K. So I reached him with maybe two minutes to spare, but I couldn't find my head torch anywhere. Um, so he wouldn't let me carry on. So I don't know whether that played a part in me getting a place or not. Um, the, the fact that he remembered me from that, just the idiot that couldn't remember his torch. <laughs> that's exact. That's exactly how Laz would put it. Like, which is which is hilarious. Like, um, but you, you went back then, did you? In twenty twenty, did you do the classic no, twice? No, that no, was just no, once. That, that's, yeah, I, I had a place to go back in 2020, but unfortunately, obviously, like yourself, the pandemic got in the way yeah. of that. So you've just brought me in line with the year. So 2020 and then 2021, they did yeah. open up the visas for us. It was Michael. Who had been, right. Michael had been in the year before. That's what had happened. Yeah, I think his first goal was 2018. Yeah, 100%. Like, so Michael's into, he's got his nose into everything in relation to all of this good stuff. So it was really good to hear that he was crewing for you. Um, I wanted yeah. to kick him in the nuts again <laughs> because that that would be like bring you got a golden ticket to go to the Charlie's factory and you're allowed to bring a friend like to the runners that were there like I was super super jealous there's absolutely no doubt about it um, the race would almost come second to actually being in amongst these runners there was how many people were in the Barclay this year was it 36 I think around that? I think 39 started I think 39 started yeah, so you've got 39. You you mentioned the elites, but it's even more than that. They're just the world's best ultra runners, like for a better description. You know, yeah, you've got the yeah. likes um, Courtney Dewalter, who just won UTMB second time. Um, Jasmine Paris, the national fell running champion, and she held the records in the Bob Graham, and I think it was the Ramsey. The Ramsey, she actually held the male and female record for a while. I know both uh-huh. of them have been broken now. John Kelly. Um, phenomenal yeah. Ironman. A lot of people don't know about John Kelly, like, but um, the last person, obviously, to complete the Barclay Marathon in 2017. Um, the list just goes on and on and on, doesn't it? It does, does indeed, yeah. Everybody there has just a tremendous CV and 
um, to spending time in the camp, sitting beside these people, just having stories, exchanging stories with them and watching them work. It's just a great experience. Just really, really lucky to have that experience. Even their crews. Their crews yeah, were mind-blowing, let alone their absolute... Because everybody wants yeah. to be there, who can be there. Do you know what I mean? Like, so, <laughs> That's so right. When, once you applied for that anyway and you got, you got that letter, how, how did you even start to look on your registration like how do you how can you give us any information like giving us any information <laughs> well um the answers are out there that's what i can't say okay. they are out there it just took took a lot of research you know um reading books and speaking to as many people as i could and then really working hard um, at ultra marathons and doing as much as i could so that i would have enough to say um if i ever discovered how to apply yeah you you, know? you need something on your cv like you don't, yeah. I don't know whether it's wit or performances that you need or a bit of both when you're applying for a that. Bit of both. I, I, I like to think it's a bit of both. Yeah. You know, when he, when he has on, because Biggs was the same, you know, what was your quickest 500 mile um, event or whatever, stupid questions. Like it's part yeah. of his, it's, it's part of his entry process is, is my belief. Like, you know, it's, he's not expecting everybody to have all of these things, but it's how you respond to those you, right. you need to engage with him in some way or form at his level, <laughs> really, yeah. at That's the end right. of the day, That's you know. Right. And if, if you are the idiot that turned up without your torch, then at least he'll remember you <laughs> for being the idiot. <laughs> but you do have to have some sort of um, backup to that. Um, we did have Karen on the podcast, one of the last podcasts we've done, actually, who was number one. She was the human sacrifice, yeah. but she won the, the Barclay Classic. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, I'm she, not, yeah. she was still um, the human sacrifice. So tell me, we'll, we'll jump into that actually. So, well, actually just before that, I sat next to you in the backyard in Castle Ward. Um, so you've done it. Was, was that the year of the bad storm, that one? That was the year of the bad storm. That's right. It was a storm that year, wasn't it? Um, that was tough. You went on well, like. I think that was, uh, yeah, I think that was 2020. Yeah, what type of, so mm -hmm. what type of things do you have on your CV that you put down? Well, I've, um, I've done a lot of I've done a lot of hundred miles. I've been over hundred miles now maybe I think eleven times. Right. Okay. Um, so I've done so I've done a lot of endurance, but in realised obviously being the Barclay, um, I needed to really deal with the elevation because that's not something I would have had to done a terrible lot of. So I spent a lot of time in the mornings. A lot of runs for yourself, as you know. Um, from memory, really, from memory, it was like fourteen thousand feet per loop, isn't it? Yes, it is. Um, five yeah, that's loops. That's a big idea. <laughs> yeah. Seventy thousand feet, sixty hours. <laughs> it's uh, the, the elevation's just frightening, really. Uh, but uh, yeah, so I tried to get in as much elevation as I could because I knew I was quite confident I had a lot of endurance, but I certainly wouldn't have been as confident in my elevation. And also, the navigation was a large part of it too. I had to work on that. Yeah, that's a huge aspect. Like. Um we'll get into that in a minute so we had we had ian keith and billy reed two very experienced mountain goers they're the only two that i know yeah. from ireland i don't know if there's anybody um previous no, that's to it. yourself you're, you're, no, you're exactly right um so you're the third person to join that group um which absolutely too mind-blowing ian keith obviously you know the winner <laughs> of the spine this year again um utmb yeah. oman outright runner 
Um, and Billy Reid has just done a double down this ranking round. Billy, we need you on the podcast. Just saying, <laughs> definitely want to hear about that. Um, but Bill, Billy's done all the likes of those big races out in the Alpines as well. Like um, phenomenal experience from those guys. But the one thing they both have is really good orienteering skills. Yeah. Um, that is something you really need for this event, isn't it? It is indeed. So I would have had no orienteering background whatsoever. Um, so I had to go away and work on that, learning compass and map reading. But in saying that, it, it's a different type of orienteering to anything that you can train for anyway, because it's it's almost like you, you still need compass. Um, you still need to use your compass and take bearings and stuff. But it's also about how you can correlate the map to what you're seeing around you. Is a, is a large part of it as well as following Laz's instructions which many have talked about before his instructions sometimes don't make sense well they don't make sense to me I'm sure they make sense to maybe some veterans that are out there but sometimes they weren't making sense to me <laughs> the contour interpretation and being able to read the land and then look at the map and try and work out where you're at so it's a it's a skill that a lot of these orienteers have that people are racing in orienteering, you know, and that's developed over time and experience, um, which is slightly different than map and compass map reading. Because um, if you know where you are and you know where you're going, that's fine. And um, when you yeah. don't know where you are, that's where it becomes a problem. And that's where you're, you're trying to do the reverse of that, isn't it? And that, that's right. That's you know, right. and is that the right river? And is that the right cliff face? And what, what direction is that cliff face? And trying, yeah. to, trying to look at your map, which is not the same as... Um, the UK and Ireland maps are absolutely fantastic. The detail in the US maps, like let's get real here. <laughs> you know, Laz isn't yeah. handing you one of those. No, the map I was working with was nowhere near as um, extensive as the map that I would have used in the moors. It's just night and day, completely different. So it was a lot more basic. So you had to really take in your surroundings and try and interpret the instructions and take in as much details about the instructions as possible to find out where you were. Um, and really, I, 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 that's, I'll probably come on to this, but that's why I, you know, I tagged along with some people at times as well because it's just so easy yeah. to get lost. 2019, you got your letter, you accepted your letter, then COVID hit. Um, that must have been pretty early on, actually. That must have been around that time when the lockdown happened. Yeah. So I had my travel all booked, all set to go, and it was cancelled. I maybe cancelled it two weeks prior to um, the actual event taking place. So. That was unfortunate. I thought it was going to get out there. Um, yeah. just didn't happen at all. That's like, give me the so ticket, then, give me the ticket back. Thanks. <laughs> Sorry. I, so yeah, close. Yeah, I, I contemplated going out there and just staying out there and hoping the race would, would go ahead. But unfortunately, yeah, it didn't happen anyway. So I was lucky I wasn't out in America at the time. So then you have the added pressure then of, am I ever going to get there now? You know, you're going as in 2021, the travel restrictions were never lifted for us. So you're hoping your place finally comes for you in 2022. And even worse than that, you're not allowed to tell anybody, you know, so you're holding on to this exactly. secret exactly. <laughs> from yeah. 2019. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then going in, so did you automatically get moved into the following year, 2021? Yeah, yes, but you still had to fulfill your obligations every year with regard applications and um, all the wee tasks that last sets for you. You still have to fulfill those every time. It's not automatic yeah. um, that you just get in, but he will obviously look after you for, you know, because you, you, you've lost your place through no fault of your own. Yeah, no, he's very good at that. So he is like, um, he, oh, he, tries, yeah. he tries to do right from it with everybody. Um, if that's the right thing yeah. to say, getting you into the Barclay. <laughs> but, <Yeah. laughs> um we absolutely love the Barclay Marathons, obviously. It's this 
infamous race that's out there you know has love these these great titles and he winds everybody up you know the race that eats its young there are some people listening to this who have never heard of the barkley marathon so just give us a little overview of what the race entails okay so it's five loops of um frozen head state park um it's a route that has been mapped out within the park it's largely off trail and during those five loops each loop you have to collect a series of books to prove that you've covered the course and um, to do the whole thing you've 60 hours and uh, so obviously you have to break that down into the five trails but um, within the first to make around the first loop you've got to make the cutoff within 13 hours 20. On top of that you've approximately 13 and a half thousand feet per climb, uh, climbing per loop as well. And it, it goes one direction and then it stops and it goes the other direction, then the other direction or whatever way he chooses. And he's just really yeah, trying so, to confuse the whole situation. So this year, I think the first two laps were clockwise. Um, and then the second two laps were anti-clockwise. And then obviously, whoever would be in the lead come loop five, if there was anybody at that stage, gets the choice to go clockwise or anti-clockwise. Right, that's cool. <laughs> if you still have any, <laughs> any sort of a mindset by then, like... <laughs> Um, and t- bearing in mind, obviously, you've got daytime and nighttime, so a clockwise loop during the day is different than the clockwise loop during the night, and vice versa. Then, when you go anti clockwise yeah. during the day to clockwise during the day again, you know, because you're trying to remember as much as you can, like your head must be fried, you know, trying to take all of this yeah. in and say, Look, you're looking where you've come from, where you're going to where you actually are you're trying to remember so much going on at the same time and and because the ground and terrain is so horrible you're trying not to wreck your ankles or um ian keith actually broke his collarbone on the on this yeah on his loop yeah. like you know these things do happen in this type of race um i think when ian had done it the name of the race was help ain't coming so he says it's one thing lads well, yeah. looks for is you have to extract yourself out of this race well, that, that's the thing. There is, an, there is an element of risk attached to it, although everybody there um, has a lot of experience in um, long ultramarathons or mountains or looking after themselves for long periods of time. And I think Laz wouldn't have you on the race if he didn't think you could look after yourself to a large extent. His line is, we have a 100% record in self-extraction. So he, he kind of likes to stick to that. <laughs> uh, your, your, your race brief beforehand is don't do anything stupid out there because help isn't coming. <laughs> yeah. So at the start of the race then, how much is it tent of the race? There's a few. Uh, uh, $1.60. There's $1.60. So there's a few um, unique, cliche is not the right word, um, but... Features. Those features of Laz, yeah. if you like. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have yeah. to bring a number plate. So if you're a virgin, you have to bring a number plate from your home country. That is a virgin um, to the race, by the way. Just so we're yeah, clear virgin. On that. Yes, yes. Sorry, I missed <laughs> a virgin to the race. Um, yes, a number plate from your home country. If you're a veteran, it can be. It's different gifts. Laz will specify that. Um, pack of cigarettes. Um, some years it's been a flannel shirt or. Um, socks, I think it might have been this year. Yeah, he wanted socks, but he hates um, ankle socks. He's not a fan of those wee trainer <laughs> socks, he says. <laughs> so when you arrive, it can start any time within, like, is it 24 or 36 hours? So you have a 12-hour window. It can go wow. between any time between midnight and midday, and he blows the conk um, an hour beforehand. That gives you an hour's notice. So this year it went off at, I think it was about 5 to 7, something like that, just before 7 a.m. 
Yeah, so it can happen anytime. It can happen twenty minutes after the starting time, or it can happen about eleven hours. He he likes to keep people on the edge. It's all part of this whole build up. Um, I've seen videos yeah. of him hanging up his number plates. You know, just taking his time. But you know, it's it's just one big act's not the right word again. But um, he's just trying to wind everybody up, take his time just at things all, like, and yeah. he knows what he's doing. <laughs> It's almost like to keep you on a, an, an acceptable level of stress the whole time. <laughs> an acceptable <laughs> level of stress. That's glass. Like, um, so when you arrive here, then um, after traveling all the way over from Ireland, because it's very unique. This this mountain range is a little cascade. Um, it has its own microclimate. What was the weather like when you arrived? Well, the day we arrived at the camp, um, it, the Monday, it just was emptying from the heavens, just torrential rain all day. It was just miserable. So it was, so it was, uh, wasn't looking good, but we knew the next day it was due to dry up, but there was rain coming again, but the temperature was favorable enough, but, um, as I say, the, the rain was awful that first day. Tell me what that was like then. So you've got Michael Shields with you. Um, that's pushing your stress limits a little bit like, but, um, sorry, Michael, <laughs> but the two of you are driving up to, um, frozen head park. Tell me what that was like. So that must've been like, you know. The excitement there must be unbelievable, and then you see the <laughs> first celebrity, and then the other celebrity because they are celebrities to us. Like that—that's what it feels like. Yeah. So you're driving in the gate, and it, it, obviously it's been years in the making for me, you know, because I knew for a couple of years, but it's something I've wanted for a long time. So it's just a surreal experience driving in, getting your parking space, and then you set up camp. So I was setting up camp um, down towards the bottom of the camp, away from the alley gate. I had to go to beforehand to Walmart to buy a tent. Um, buy, <laughs> I know, buy a tent in Walmart and a stove and lots lots of food, as you can imagine, because you don't know how long you're going to be out there for. And then setting up the camp and the funny, the car parked beside me was Jasmine, actually Jasmine Paris. So that's the, that's the first person that you're meeting. And you're just, wow. Man, you know, like, <laughs> Jasmine being, yeah. she became famous for the 2019 thing, obviously, because she won the spine, um, whilst breastfeeding along the spine. But that's what the public done like you know but we already knew how unbelievable jasmine mm -hmm. paris was like national fell running champion um holding the rain records she is a machine like she really is um i think it was charlie ramsey i don't think it was patty buckley i think it was charlie ramsey she actually broke the men's record as well as the woman's record which was absolutely mind-blowing mm -hmm. and she's she's not she wouldn't be a, a hugely she wouldn't be an extrovert you know so it is, mm -hmm. you don't really get to, to hear or see much about jasmine like um, so it must have been amazing. Well, Jasmine, how you doing? Oh, dead on. How you? Oh, yeah, not too bad. <laughs> you know, it really, because it's strange. Like, because I have these people on the podcast, and what is really strange and um, I suppose warming. They're just ordinary people. They really That's are it. just That's normal. And when you're talking to these people, you put them up on a pedestal in your mind, but really, they're just like you and you and me um they just love running really and it's just come to this yeah. level in their careers like that, that, that was probably my favorite part of it um everybody at camp getting on and just having a great time and sharing experiences and everyone's there loving it that for the same reasons and so even after that my race was over i still stayed there till it was over and watched everybody come in and spoke to everybody and shared stories it was just that just an unforgettable experience in that aspect of it yeah, that is mental. Like, um, I would have been too creepy to be there. 
<laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not allowed to. I'm not allowed to mention the name um, Courtney Dewalter in this house. My wife just goes Courtney, Courtney, Courtney. Like <laughs> <laughs> um, I think, I think, I think Michael did more of that because obviously I was out. I was out in the course for a long time, so he 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 did a lot more of that. I think he was um, taking charge of the campfire quite a lot. I believe. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he would have been like a dog with a bone. I'm sure he was like. Um, but listen, nobody deserves it better than him, to be honest. Like, so you've got the likes of Jasmine and um, Harvey Lewis. Like Harvey Lewis was the winner of Bad War. Yeah. Um, John Kelly and all the, all those phenomenal athletes. Like, so you set up your camp. Um, is there much thought process in that? Not really, no. Because all I really needed it was to have shelter for the the night before or for the twelve hour period. Um, so you could maybe get some sleep before it started and then everything then was based in the car to come back that if you needed food or kit or whatever you needed so you're not planning to be at the car or the camp very much because you want to be out on the course as much as you possibly can be yeah because 12 hours out there like you know so when it starts at your crew sitting there <laughs> for that length yeah. of time just waiting for everybody to come in when you think about uh, the backyard event which is also created by um, Laz you know that's happening every hour well, this is happening every 12 mm -hmm. hours <laughs> you know so there's a long yeah, spell in between like it's half a day it is oh, my, michael was fantastic obviously he set everything up with me and then um i got i managed to get a good night's sleep and he just woke me when the conch went off so i was very fortunate it started when it did and he his poor bersaud had to stay up all night and wait for that to, to be blown <laughs> my feeling as soon as, as soon as that's blown there's just a hive of activity then camp lights going on everywhere and noise and just the place is just a rush then at that point. I would I would say at that point, um, all the celebrity sort of personal just goes out the window. Now you're in race zone. You know, you're now you're yeah. getting ready, you're getting your kit, you're thinking about your kit, you're thinking about what fuel have we got all those things that you've sort of practiced start going through your head, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Have you got the um stuff all over your feet? Have you got you know, all the, all of these things you start ticking them off in your head. Making sure it's all in the right places to get access on it, making sure I had a a plastic bag is a bag from a my book my book pages make sure it can get out that easily make sure you can get out you've been there you can get you can get out your food easily you know all those simple things that yeah. make a huge difference then when you're out there because it is like it's it's such a tough event as is at most ultra running events anyway it's it's the little margins that make a difference isn't it it's those things can yeah. knock you out especially when it's a lot of mental activity as well that's going on especially in this race more so in this race than any race to be honest you know your mm -hmm. mind is on it it has to be on it yeah. from right from the minute you start so what was that like then lining up at the because that that's this is a real famous start to any yeah most probably the most famous start to any ultra running event now in the world because um it sort of touches all the ultra runners we got the likes of utmb where there's people that sort of follow that type of event but in ultra running which is a very good close community anyway like um that yellow gate start has to be you know the one of the most famous in the world yeah. and there you're lined up with yeah. 39 of these guys like you know the nerves obviously there waiting for Laz to light his camel cigarette to start the race and, and have his big motivational speech that must have been surreal yeah, that, that, that was a phenomenal moment. As I was walking up to the start line and just making sure I had everything, it was it was almost quite overwhelming, you know, that was actually happening. It was about to start. And then he uh, he does a tribute to um, people who are no longer with us that had a big contribution to the Barclay. And then they play taps. 
um, gives you a bit of a race brief. Well, say race brief, it's just don't do anything stupid out there <laughs> and get yourself out, have your get out plan. And then um, he lights a cigarette and it's just bang, everyone's away. Who, just, who are you standing next to at the, at the race? I was standing next to a guy called uh, Josh. I don't know his surname, but um, he, I was standing next to a guy called him. I briefly met him. Um, and I, I actually didn't take in too much, Robert. Who must was who who was standing beside me at the time was just so concentrated on having everything and listening to Lars actually because I was really wanting to take that moment in because I've watched it so many times. Yeah, I couldn't yeah. believe I was there. And um, what was your aspirations then at that moment in well, time? The the main the, the biggest goal of all would have been to get round loop one in time get out on the loop two, try and make around loop two. The dream would be, like, I never had any, if, if I'm totally honest. Like, when you set off for every ultra, ultra race or run that you've ever done, you always hope to finish. But I think, obviously, in the back of my mind, you know that with the Barclay, that's not going to happen. Or a large party and certainly knows that if you're realistic with yourself. But you also harbour dreams of a fun run, for example. So you don't want to rule that out because you want to do the best yeah. you can possibly do. But very quickly... Things become very real out there as well. So your goals change as you're going along. That's what <laughs> that happens in every ultra event with me, though. You know, um, yeah. maybe 50k would be all right. <laughs> but I hear like, um, so like everyone takes off, and I watched I've watched the video a few times. Like everybody taking off, and they're pretty relaxed. They, you can see some of them are in it for the long haul. Like and they, some people like Carl Saab, like in their minds they're going to beat this race. There's people coming into this event this year that were in the form of their lives you know some of the best yeah. ultra runners in the world like so tell me how that sort of progressed what you can tell me and what you can't tell me um about your own event well so uh, set off and it sets off at a really quick pick quick pace that's the thing about the Barkley marathon you're straight on the red line you no know, you don't grow into it it's it's straight on the red line because you, you're you're straight up this massive climb and i was and um, there's a book called um, Tales from Out There by Frozen Ed Furtall. A lot of people will be aware of that book. I was speaking to him before the race and he said to me, some of the climbs you have to jam your poles in, put your feet against them just to get grip because the leaves are so wet. Well, this happened to me within minutes. I couldn't believe this climb. Like, <laughs> and I was like, you know those moments where you go, this is really bad. I can't believe how hard this is. I knew it would be hard, but I still had no idea how hard it would actually be. But fortunately... What shoes were you wearing? Uh, uh, the Terra Ultra Cinevates. Right, okay. Yeah, they were great because uh, you know sometimes the grip wasn't brilliant, but um, for the cushioning it helps as well because yeah, you should be a bit more than the mud claws. And then very quickly, then obviously you realise how hard it is, but you grow into it. You start to get used to it. You know, you start to get used to running on the red line and sitting in that high zone all the time. And um, as I was going along, I realised you know the time was creeping up. So the what what became apparent to me was no matter what, I was finishing that loop getting all the books. It didn't matter whether I went out of time or not. I was not coming down Quitter's Road. That just wasn't an option to quit. So yeah. that was the, that so became the bare minimum goal. You have to find 13 books um, which relate to your race number. So if you're given race number seven, you have to find these 13 books and rip out page seven um, and then bring back all 13 um, to yeah. Laz to confirm that you've completed the loop within those 13 hours, whatever that time was for loop one. 1320. 1320 on loop one. Mm -hmm. um, and then Laz will confirm then before he starts again. And <clears throat> that will determine whether or not you're allowed to go out on your second loop. Um, there's so many people 
like do not make the first loop and some you know phenomenal ultra runners and um, because this is more than just endurance and like this is like one little mistake you can go the wrong way down the river you can do this you can do that um, you can roll your ankle you can take the wrong turn we've heard so many stories around the Barkley um, anything can happen and there have been some oh it's a great race for statistics <laughs> it's like you know this <laughs> this this was the first woman to complete um the fun run in like x amount of years or this everything that happens is a stat for that like in the Barkley which yeah, I love yeah and oh there's been some absolutely great stories like but the thing about it is you do get to hear about you know rat jaw testicle spectacle I've said that the wrong way around, but um, no, 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 you're right. <coughs> you know, yeah. you've all of these big names just to be on those. Yeah, that's it. You know, you yeah, you're getting to tick off all these amazing clients that you've heard of, and just just ripping out that first page of the book is a great moment because you find the first book and you're on your way. It's just because the, the biggest fear I'll never even find the first book that, that, <laughs> yeah. that creeps into your head. You know, I'm going to be the most catastrophic failure here of all time, but. And you realize you need to stick at it, it'll be okay, you know. That that's the one thing, you know, you've been given the respect to come into the race by Laz. Like you don't Correct. want you don't want to let him down either, you know, you don't want to let yourself down, but you don't want to let Laz down either. So at the minimum you wanna finish that race. What number were you? Because that must have well, been that, a ner- nervous time as well, going up, you know, you rubbing show in between Courtney and John Kelly. Sorry, I'm just getting my number here. What number are you? Uh, <laughs> geez, Courtney, I, exactly it, yeah. Courtney, I hope you're uh-huh. not number one. But like I remember yeah. Amelia Boone, you know, she thought she was number one, you know, at that level. So that paranoia sticks with a lot of people. Yeah, I think I think Harvey was maybe two in front of me in the queue, you know, to, 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 to speak to Laz and sit down. So whenever he reached across and handed me number 53, I'll not lie, there was a bit of relief. Yeah. Part of me thought I would be number one, but I wasn't. It was 53. So I felt really good about that as well, that he, that it, at least maybe had some hope that I had some chance of getting around, you know. So that was a, uh, it was nice. Um, yeah, fifty three. He's having a bit of laugh, a bit of a laugh though. Like his Karen got um number one as well. Like so, it's got, he does let quite a high standard in. Yeah, yeah. Every, everybody that's there has done many great things. There's nobody there that really doesn't have the right to be there. But um, well, in my eyes, because I mean, it's, it's Karen. Yeah. Karen's a fantastic runner. I met Karen as well while I was there. She's a great runner. So. Uh, everybody, I mean, I think the number one this year, she she got round the full the first loop too as well. So it's it's, <laughs> it's great though, isn't it? So for those who don't know, uh-huh. um, Laz has number one as the human sacrifice. That has the person that is the person that he selects who has no right of being there. <laughs> <laughs> and the reason why he does that as well, obviously, he puts everybody on eggshells. Um, a lot of people, like Ian Keith, thought it might have been him. You know, Billy Reid thought it might have been him exactly the same situation and scenario you yeah. look at all these big names who have com- completed so many big things like um and it's just that element of doubt that he puts into your head like but you know you can look at it either way if i was number one i'd be like well i'm going to show you last you frigger you know it, yeah it can actually yeah, lift you as well so it's, it's of so, course it actually takes off the expectation as well you know so the number uh-huh. one can be a good number to have i mean you don't even see anyone's number then after that point because everyone tucks it away you know just for, for their book so this year there was 14 books we had to get so you're just making sure you rip out the right page every time people's kit and stuff like that did you pay any attention to any of that what was going on like and not not really well i did a bit because i was looking around me and seeing how much food some people and stuff were bringing um and i was like i'm not sure i have enough food so my pack was the heaviest pack i think i've ever carried in my life 
you know, it's because I had obviously clothes for when the weather turned, because you know how quickly the weather can change at Barclay. So I wanted to make sure I had a good jacket and waterproof trousers if required, and then your head torch and, and then all the food. So it's, as I say, the heaviest pack I've ever carried. And then the bladder was full as well, because you want to have enough fluids. That's the wa- water bladder, bladder that is for those. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry. He, he, want, he went out with a full bladder, so he did like, mm, you want to empty that before you go, but... So there's a good tip going forward. Um, but the weather in Frozen State Park is atrocious. I think that's what caught Billy Reed and Nikki Spinks. Um, they were together yeah. at the time, you know, really warm during the day. From memory, like it was high 20s and then it drops and it's bloody snowing, you know, mm-hmm. within 12 hours. Mm-hmm. And they, they had to pull out with the risk of ammonia kicking in. Yeah, yeah. It's, it, can be, it can be quite dangerous because you're so isolated at certain points of the park to get out. Um, could be a four and a half hour hike back to camp, so you need to make sure you're prepared for the, that weather turning. Or if you you don't think you're any longer prepared, you're going to have to come back, and that's ha- that's happened to a lot of people who probably had a good chance of finishing their second loop or a fun run, um, but the weather conditions have hampered that chance for them. If it was me and I was a virgin going over, one thing I definitely would do is. Like, and the same with the Barclay Classic, I'm meant to be going over this year, trying to get myself as fit as possible and then hanging on to somebody that has a bloody, some sort of an idea of what direction to go. Like, it has to be uh, the, th- the done thing, like, for virgins out there. Um, so how did it go for you? Well, that, that's what I did, actually. Um, I ended up in a group of four of us. Um, sometimes it, there were six, sometimes there were seven, just because you, you would bump into people who have been searching for books for some time. And then you'd end up in a bigger group and then they would run off again. Or, But fortunately, I got in with um, two veterans and another virgin. And the two veterans knew the course quite well. And whilst I was running with them, I was also paying attention to the map and the instructions to make sure I knew where I was going as well mm. in case they dropped me at some point or I dropped them. So just wanted to be sure all the time. There was times actually I could have went a lot quicker, I feel like on the downhills and stuff. But I was aware of the time pushing on and equally, I was afraid of getting lost to the point then where I didn't get all the books and didn't get around the loop. Yeah. So it was kind of comfort. It was kind of comforting to be in that group. Plus, I really enjoyed spending the time with them too. I know that's bad, but I did. It just it was just a great experience with them. Well, it's part of the experience from Ultra Running, isn't it? As is the community uh-huh. and people on the course. I always say, you know, when you're having a good race, race you meet a a good handful of people but when you have a bad race you, you meet two handfuls of people because <laughs> you're walking yeah. and talking to <laughs> twice as many people like and feeling sorry for yourself um so the instructions to the book how was that so how did that play out how did you know where to go and look for your and search for your first book so the instructions really they'll, they'll point you to where river where rivers and creeks cross things like that and then if you cross that creek then you have to look in a certain place it's very and it's lads sums love some of Laz's language you don't even pick up on because the way he describes on certain things i've never even heard of the way he describes certain things he's a master of the word as you know so yeah. i found those quite challenging but basically the books were always sometimes then you just knew you always had to climb the highest mountain and then drop to the lowest point and then <laughs> climb the highest part if it was the hardest way that's the way you had to go that's really how you knew <laughs> yeah, if it was an easy route and you're going in the wrong direction. <laughs> yeah, yeah. As I say earlier, whenever um, you're on trail, there's very little of it on trail, but he refers to it as Candy Ash Trail. So does he give you like a bullet point list of like 13 yeah. bullet points with some explanations? Yeah, so there's, it's maybe three or four pages long, um, one each side, and it'll have a list of instructions to go along with the map. 
um, pointing out where each book is. And then um, before the race, he sets out his master map. And um, you really try and copy his master map onto your map and follow the instructions at the same time. So when I was marking out my master map, I was reading the instructions to try and understand where I was going on the map at the same time as the instructions. He can't do one without the other. The instructions are vital, just yeah, as much yeah. as the map is. But it doesn't actually mark. There's no there's no X marks to spot on the map. It's just no, a description. no, it's not. It's not as straightforward as that. And then, as I said, as we talked about earlier, the map certainly wouldn't be as detailed as maps that I've used in the past. The books don't move then. So if you do one loop and you come back with a 13, you're just given a different number. Is that the way it works? That's right. That's right. That's that's why I, I was glad when we went out in daylight. I was hoping then to try and learn the course as best as possible. You know yourself from a lot of time in the mountains that, that nighttime everything looks completely different. So I was hoping to get out during daylight. So it was great to, to get that. And then, but obviously I spent that long out there. And I ended up there at night as well. So yeah, because what what was the time shift then? So it was getting dark at what time? It got dark at about between six and seven p.m. It got dark. So, um, yeah, um, and then as soon as it got dark, the temperature just dropped massively and the rain kicked in and the rain just then didn't let up really for the rest of the night till the early hours, I think. And the rain, I've never had rain, I've never had rain like it. It's just, it's, it's just unbelievable. So it's real <laughs> heavy downpour, like, and yeah, for the time that saturated. It, time of year it was, like in March, um, what date was it on in March? It was March like 4th? The 6th. 6th? March the 6th. You know, so there's, you know, all the trees. The, sorry, sorry, the eighth, sorry, the eighth. Yeah, sorry, the eighth of March. So, uh -huh. you know, all the leaves sort of by this stage are, are well and truly sort of decaying into the ground or whatever word it is. Yeah. Like, you know, so really slippery and stuff like that. Um, so how, just explain the course to me, you know, and the, the ground terrain and stuff like that. It's quite a mixture too, wasn't it? Yeah, it is a mixture. So it's a mixture of leaves and um trees and a lot of blown down trees and things like that um there's parts of the course that there's really no grip at all when you're going downhill you spend a lot of time sliding and some of the slides it's just easier to just go down on your backside and slide down them and one of them is famously known as leonard's butt slide so you, you just you're better going down on your backside because you just can't keep grip with your feet at all uh, and then you have ratchel obviously that has the briars and stuff the whole way down it although this time of year I find them a lot easier than you would at Barclay Fall Classic. They're just not as thick and as severe. Um, but they're definitely snaggy. I, I ripped the jacket when down it, so they will snag they will snag you. <laughs> I did see I did see one photograph, I can't remember who it was, like, but their legs were absolutely minced by the briars, yeah. like, you know, really being cut to pieces. Like I think it was Karen actually during her um podcast, you talked about, you know, about expending too much energy before you got to there where you had to wait for people to actually cut this way through the briars like you know because it was yeah which helps i suppose them um, obviously when people start to go through it and, and cut them down but it's a slow process though isn't it yeah that's at this time of year you can see your because obviously it's it's a winter and the trees are coming back and stuff um you can see your path the whole way down although that'll still snag you the whole way but um, whereas in the, in the in the fall or september it's all greenery so you can't see your path just as much. Okay. And I just think they tend to be a wee bit thicker, but there's no way you're getting down it without getting cut. Yeah. Did you go through the penitentiary? Yes. Yeah. So drop down, you go under the tunnel, and there's a book um, around that area as well. So um, that must have been pretty cool. But his books as well, They he has um, mind-bending names on the books, aren't they? They're not like Mary Poppins. Well, yeah. Mary well, Poppins would, yeah. would be one. <laughs> 
One of them stands out this year was called From Dead to Worse. <laughs> <laughs> that stuck out in my mind, From Dead to Worse. Yeah, so, yeah, it was great. I kept all those pages, brought them back to the gate. And because I was out of time, he didn't count them. I said, no, I really wanted him to count them, but he doesn't then at that point because you're actually out of time. So, okay. but I had them all anyway. How long did it take you to do your loop? Um, 16 hours. Just over 16 hours I was out there for. Yeah. I, I kind of knew... Towards the towards the end that it was running out of time, so it probably did slow down a little. Uh, but in saying that, um, I would need the navigation to be a lot better to make the cutoff. Yeah. Do you think that is? Um, do you think that was the main area where you would have improved on that? Was the navigation, the terrain, um, or just the familiarity with the whole thing? Maybe just a better combination of everything. A, co a combination of everything. I think there was times I could have went a lot quicker, but I was concentrating on finding the book and making sure I wasn't lost. Obviously, I would love another go someday. So I was trying to learn the course as much as possible while I was out there. And at the same time, that's why quitting was never an option. I didn't want to walk away and go down Quitter's Road. I wanted to make sure I got every book and got round. Yeah, it wouldn't matter how long you were out there for. Wouldn't matter if no, it was it like twenty four yeah. hours. You know, you know, you no. you know, you could do twenty four hours. If that's what it's going to take, that's what it's going to take. I'm coming yeah. back down yeah. with these thirteen books. Like, um, so there was a record number of people, I believe, finished the first loop, um, which was thirty people, um, and yeah, then that's right. Then the shit hit the fan, so to speak. Yeah, the the nighttime <laughs> and weather and weather came in and things change very rapidly. Um, a lot of people got a couple of books and came back off loop two. Um, some didn't make two loop two within the cutoff. And I think in the end, it was only possibly five went out on loop three. I think five from memory. From five went out on loop three. And when you came mm -hmm. back, um, mm -hmm. you obviously got tapped out. Yeah. That must have been a pretty cool moment, to be fair. It was a brilliant, it was a brilliant moment, yeah. So um, I ran up to the gate um, and Lars shouted, who, who is it? And I told him who it was. And he said, he actually said to me, oh, we weren't worried about you out there. We knew where you come from. There's a lot of rain. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I was able to tell him who was behind me. So he was relieved because then everybody was coming in and stuff. And everyone was almost accounted for as well. Because they're not going to wait and look for you, but we'd like to know everyone's all right. So if he didn't count your pages, does that mean you still have them? Yes, I still have all the pages. Yeah, yeah it's a nice, <laughs> it's a nice week, it's a nice week souvenir. Uh -huh. In case I never get back. Yep. Um. So, what was that like meeting uh, Michael at that point? Because Michael at this stage has been rubbing shoulders with everybody in the camp. You know, Michael at this stage now is part of the furniture. <laughs> yes, he doubt. was. I, he, I think he was trying to get a job as permanent staff at the Barclay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> he, he's so actually well, yeah. he actually starting to look like Laz, you know, with his beard and stuff like that. You yeah. know, he definitely could be a uh -huh. mini me, like. Yeah. So he shouted over as well. He was standing over beside the gate, um, and shouted over, and he was able to capture the whole moment. He'd stuff. I he'd load a kit there actually in case it had make it into the cutoff. He had me ready to go back out if that was the case, which was great of him. Um, Unfortunately, he just didn't make it. Because nobody knows where you are or how long you're going to be, or there's no tracking systems, no watches, no GPXs, nothing no. at all. Like you know, Laz hands you this little cheap watch at the start of the race just so you can keep an eye on the time. Yeah, so when the conk blows, you have to go up and collect um, a watch from him. And this year it was a, a little, like a wee digital watch out of Walmart. And he, he sets the time and, and that's you good to go. 
So it was no disappointment for you in any way or form. You came back with the 13 pages. Doesn't matter, it was 16 hours. Um, you would have liked to have done more, obviously, but you'd at least ticked off the minimum requirement of what you needed to. So the pressure was off. You didn't disrespect the race. Yeah. Not disrespect, but you didn't let any, you didn't let yourself down. Um, for the no. best way of putting no. it. Um, yeah. So then you go back, you get something to eat and you relax and then you start finding out what's going on. Um, so it's 30 people back out. Because now you, you've got the flip side of it. Now you're in Michael's shoes. You can start enjoying, observing the Barclay Marathon whilst being there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. so it's like yeah. the best of both worlds, yeah. isn't it? Oh, it's class. And then you're seeing them come in. Um, I remember watching Carl Saba come in after his third loop and just the crowd around him, just working at him and getting him ready to go back out on the loop four. He, like really good he'd done really a phenomenal strong. time like it was like 10 hours or something stupid on the first loop or yeah. under under 10 I think hours he, I, he was I, I think he might have been i think he might have been in on, on after the third loop around 32 hours something like that so yeah after the third one yeah sorry so, I, just, um, I actually just looked at a shape going front of me it was eight hours and seven minutes on the first loop that's mental um he came in with john kelly so you couldn't have got a better person to come in with, obviously. Um, John being the last <laughs> person and a local to frozen mm -hmm. head state. Um, but those two were really on good form. You had New Zealand there as well. Is it Greg Hamilton? Yes. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. I think Greg, Greg's made it out on the loop four before actually as well. I think that was the second time out on that. So there's quite a lot about that. And it was we were getting a lot of feedback, obviously, about Jasmine as well. Um, mm -hmm. had made it onto the third loop. So I think there was like 30 people had gone back out, which was a record. Shit hit the fan. Yeah. And then there was only five <laughs> remained after the second loop. It just wiped yeah. out the whole field. Um, That's it. But the conditions turned absolutely atrocious. Like it must have been, even when you were sort of waiting around camp then, because the descriptions that I've sort of read, you know, the, the rain was, it was just ice rain. It was freezing cold. Yeah. It was heavy. Right yeah rain's probably the worst thing you can get i think because the rain is just ice it's just cold it, get, it means you're never getting an opportunity to get warm again if you have just wind or just the temperature drops then you can nearly deal with that there's ways of staying warm but you know yourself when your clothes get wet it becomes just so much more difficult to retain that heat and um, when i when we were climbing every time we got an uphill i was delighted almost at the one point because that was an opportunity to warm up again because yeah. you were working so hard on the climb so I was quite, and then I remember taking shelter under a rock to get something to eat at one point because it was just too wet to eat it while on the move. I just climbed under a rock and had a sandwich. You know, they really need a better luck, like don't they? But to be fair though, those guys done really, really well. Um, they went out onto the third loop for the for fun run. There was five of them, and all yeah. five of them finished mm -hmm. the fun, the fun run. Jasmine was the first person since I think first female since two thousand thirteen, something like that. Anyway. Yeah, um, it's fantastic. <clears throat> um, which doesn't surprise you, but you have all these big hopes for all these big runners going in, the likes of Courtney. And it was great seeing Jasmine doing what she does best. Like, that really is her terrain, like, you know. But even she <laughs> was struggling with those type of maps and what you had to do because it was so different mm -hmm. than what we have back at home. And there's nobody that wasn't struggling, obviously. But John Kelly. So there's a great story about John. Do you want to tell us about that with his, his books? Yeah, I I believe John, um, on one of the hills, uh, lost. He, when he got to the bottom, he realised that he lost his um, little pouch that was holding his book pages. So I think he spent three hours doing hill repeats, 
um, until that actually turned up. And I think he was at the point, from what I hear, he was at the point where he was just about to give up when he actually found the book pages. I think this year was the story of the, the lost book pages because there was somebody else, one blew off the side of a cliff and that was them out as well. There was another story. I can't yeah, remember who that right. was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was mental, wasn't but, it? Like, just game over. I can't yeah. That wasn't Harvey, was it? I don't know. I'm not I don't sure. Know. Like... I don't think so. Yeah. Um, but that was That's absolutely funny. crazy. The, the veteran I was with actually kept me going a couple of times. He says, you sure you didn't drop your page back there? He was having a bit of fun with me about it, like, because <laughs> I was really always checking that it, that it put it back in there. The thoughts of having to go back and look for it, so didn't bear thinking about. What was that like then, seeing everybody coming in on the third loop? You're getting all these different type of experiences through the whole event, aren't you? Yeah, it's just great to watch them um, because they're coming in um, and everyone's excited for them hoping that they're going to keep going um, and then they've got their changeover so they're trying to get as much food and change kit and as much calories in them as possible and then there's just a real buzz about the camp then when they're ready to go back out and get a new page number off last a new number to go out and start another loop and um, you can't take that page off until you're ready to go and you make sure he says to you, you sure you've got everything because the minute you take that number off and that's it no more aid no nothing I remember seeing it. I remember seeing a video a couple of years ago. Somebody took the number and they went. They went to go back. Whoa, whoa, where are you going? No, no, you're not going to go back. Out, out. That's it, like, <laughs> you know. Yeah, like even if you forgot their head torch or compass or something, that's it. Like, you know, can you imagine going out there without a compass or a head torch? So yeah, Yasmin and um, I'm going to edit that. I, you know, I jasmine is the only person I've never got on the podcast because I keep on saying the word Yasmin. Huh? <laughs> so I'm going to have to edit that out. I don't know where I've got Yasmin from. It's not even a friggin' name. I was having a glass of wine one night. I sent her a message about Yasmin. <laughs> I read it the next morning and went, oh, for fuck's sakes, Robbie. I, like, I, no, don't do them things with wine, Robbie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, but Jasmine and Thomas, um, I think they got back. They had their numbers. Um, they just didn't have enough time to go back out, even though they, they were in good shape. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Obviously, you're, you're, you're always against the clock. Um, and Laz says, and everybody would say, it just doesn't allow you to have any mistakes. You know, you're not allowed to have any mistakes at all to keep under that time because you might do a really fast first loop, but that time catches up later on, you know, because of through tiredness, you might need a wee nap or the tiredness might take hold of you and you might make a big mistake as a result of not taking a sleep, for example. Yeah, so we had three people. I think there was three people left. There was Greg, John Kelly and Carl. Um, went out on loop four. Um, Carl's Carl was in great form, um, mm-hmm. relatively speaking. I believe Greg went out and he didn't. He just got a few books and come back again. Well, he he actually ended up being the last man out on the course. We were there when he came back. It was almost all tidied up by the time he came back. He'd spent so much time out there on uh, on loop four, but um, he got lost and stuff and didn't quite finish it. But he'd been out there for a very long time. So Greg was the last one out. So we've got. Um, John Kelly after losing his books, that was sort of it for him. Like, um, uh-huh. what happened to Carol then? Well, the, the, well, I was asleep at the time that, that, that this happened, but um, what's actually supposed to have happened is that um, a, a sheriff's car pulled up in the camp with with uh, with Carol in the passenger seat, um, and he um, he got lost and wandered off course and ended up in a small town called Petros, um, and that's that Petros is where the prison is. The, and he was picked up by the sheriff allegedly talking to the trash can as the story goes <laughs> yeah i think i did read something about that like um, i think he was reported to the sheriff as well as some dodgy like, right, guy yes. walking about yeah. town uh-huh. there <laughs> it was uh-huh. the, yeah. the leader of For- the barclay marathon right now 
That is hilarious. Fortunately, fortunately for him, I think the officer that dealt with him knew about the race and was a bit of a Laz super fan, so he was able to feed him and give him something to eat and drink and bring him back to the camp. <laughs> <laughs> so it couldn't have worked out better for the officer. That is mad. Like, so Greg was out the longest on the course. I think so. Yeah, he believes certainly that he was the last man to come in when we were still there at the camp. Yeah. Um. So Carl, like, had thirty-two hours on loop three. You know, he he was going really well. Like, so there was something that I'd read. Um, I think the the two guys that had gone out then, Carl and Greg, they had to do both loops, loop four and twelve hours, which had only ever been done by t- two people before in the history of the Barclay. They only had twelve hours to get loop four done, based on where they were at. Yeah, but these guys even even they even get there and they're just phenomenal what they're able to do. And I wouldn't put anything past them. You know, they know if they're not making yeah. mistakes and getting their books on times, it's it's achievable. Somebody will be able to do it soon. Yeah, that that really was the year. Though it just shows you, you know, you've got John Kelly, Greg, and Carl. All three of those guys could have finished the Barclay this year. There's absolutely no doubt about that. But just those little tiny margins of error is all yeah. it took at that moment in time. Because don't forget, like, almost 14,000 feet per loop, 28,000 feet, you know, full, uh, I challenged myself there, 42,000 feet. <laughs> it wasn't going to get any easier, was it? Through all that weather no. and your body's getting breaking down all the time, like, and your mental um, strength and ability, you know, it's mm-hmm. just crumbling all the time. Like, you, these guys are really going to have to dig super, super deep um, to maintain focus more than anything else, like, because they're fantastic athletes. Um, so the Barclay had no finishes again. That's 2022. 2017 mm-hmm. was the last time. Uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, 2017, I think, was the last time, yeah. Um, Laz makes it a bit more difficult every time somebody does that. Um, beat, mm-hmm. Beats it, so lo- that's the one good thing about nobody completing it. <laughs> it's not going to be any harder for anybody <laughs> next year, but still somebody has to do it. Um, it's a strange. I don't know how you could. I, I don't strange, know how you could make it harder. <laughs> it's a strange thing, like because in ultra running, like the backyard, you know, everyone's learning from each other, and everybody's going further and further and further. The Barclay doesn't have that, you know. The Barclay yeah. can throw up so many different things that obviously the course isn't getting harder, but it depends on the environment and the conditions, and you know, the weather there at that time of year is just. Like every time we get somebody on the podcast, like Ian, it was like th- he had thunder and lightning and downpours of rain, and we had Billy who had mm-hmm. unbelievable sunshine and warmth, and then was <laughs> twelve hours later was hailed on. Like, you know, it's it's such a difficult. You can't train for that shit. Like, there's absolutely no way. No, no. As soon as the weather changes, it it, it just shocks you actually how quickly it does change. You know, you, you've heard other people's stories and other people's experiences, but when you're out there, it's it is remarkable how quickly things change with the rain and the temperature dropping. I mean, when I, when we first started at the start line, it was quite cold. Um, but within minutes of that first time, I had far too much on. I quickly realized I had far too much on. So I was stripping off on that first hill. So, and then the coat wasn't back on again to later, but I was glad of it then. Um, what's, what's the one memory that sticks out in your mind? Um, I would just say the whole the whole experience of meeting everybody and just spending time at the camp and just being a part of it, Robin. You know, I mean, I think what... In, what inspires everybody about Barclay is so many ultra, when we do ultra running and we do these long races and these big challenges, for me personally, I think it's because there's always a chance of failure. That's what drives you to it. So it's, 
if it was easy, it's not really a challenge. This is why this, I think, inspires so many people and inspires the best out there because it really is. The, the, the chance of failure is very, very realistic and very probable in this. There's nothing else like it like that. If it's a 99% failure rate or something like that, or 90 plus anyway. So I think that's the great thing about it. That's why it's so inspiring. So it's just, it's like a niche. You just scratch, you just can't stop scratching mm. it. You just want to do it more and more and see how far you can actually push yourself. That's the problem now that you, when you have a taste of that, like, um, yeah. I'll never forget Laz's line when John Kelly um, beat the Barkley and Laz apologized to him and said, sorry, John, you didn't get to see how far you can go. i thought that was absolutely brilliant like you know um so you've ticked off the barclay um backyard is a real big thing for yourself like is 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 that the next target vision where's where's your where's your next aspiration your goals um big's backyard has to be something you would love to get into yeah i would i would love i would love to have a go at big's backyard but um, you know yourself at home it's particularly in Ireland anyway the, the, the bar has been set very very high to make that now yeah, um, yeah. likes of Keith, likes, likes Keith and Peter and Jivy as well just putting in serious loops you know that Florida Manor there last year so um, the chances of getting that are, are very difficult now they, they had four people yeah. over 60 loops mm-hmm. like, Miami as well that's right like holy mm-hmm. shit like that is just yeah. madness isn't it um you need to you need to throw yourself into that that sort of ring more and more and more times don't you uh-huh. just to get used to that mental aspect of um what that's all about and trying to get as far as you can like um what is there anything out there that you you sort of fancy like utmb or i want to do something multi-day i want like a an adventure run you know i want to run for a couple of days and end like a long journey run i want to do mm. something like that um, watched a documentary recently of um, one of Mark Cobain's events there across wheels. Um, yeah, and that looks class. And I, I, th- I thought that was pretty good, you know, just running the running the length of wheels for a couple of days or something like that, something multi-day. Um, the Dragon's Back now, which is a six-day multi-event, like which goes right across the spine of Wales, Crib Gok. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah. Um, but Mark Cobain's got a fantastic race there. I would love to have one of these gammy feet of mine sorry i went through a whole podcast didn't mention it <laughs> they're, they're still here <laughs> they haven't gone away this they're following me about everywhere for fuck's sakes um but he has got the three peak challenge which is great you know everyone's yeah. heard the three peak challenge there but um you actually do it on foot and it's about 400 miles that i really yeah. fancy the likes of that that looks fantastic as well and very low-key you know grain roots type of events that mark um has like and he does some fantastic events, but the dragon's back, twelve hundred pounds to enter. It's not cheap. <laughs> <laughs> well, none of these adventures are. I mean, although the the Barclays only one dollar sixty to enter, it's all the travel expenses and staying there and, and putting everything in motion and all the kit and you know they say running's a cheap sport. I'm not so sure it is. <laughs> so I'm not. <laughs> um, keep telling my wife it is anyway. Like, have you anything planned for this year? Any mo- any backyard scheduled or anything like that? Yeah, uh, well, yeah. Um, the, the Ireland team has um, three more upcoming as part of the Four Nations Trophy here. Um, the next one is in England on the 16th of April, the Cowshed Backyard. And then I think the Welsh is in June and the Scottish is in August. So I can go to those um, if I can make them work with work and other schedule and things. So yeah, those, are, those backyards are definitely in the pipeline. 
it's quite a commitment, isn't it? Like it is, it to, is indeed. It to, is to those four. It is. And I think backyards are the most mentally challenging events that you'll ever do. And um, when there's no finish line, it's just so much more demanding in your head. Yeah, but but it's something you do carry forward into different events, isn't it? It gives you a lot more confidence. Absolutely. Because you know what you're having to deal with, what you deal with in that events. You know, even with yeah. the Barclay and stuff like that, you've got your endurance, but it's that mental aspect that you carry through from the backyards. No, it stays with you. You, you know that you can always keep going when it's hard. It, it, it does stay with you. Congratulations, anyway, getting into the Barclay Marathon. Like, that is just... Thanks, Robin. You've yeah, now yeah, no, I did. I joined a list of honoured members from Ireland. Um, Ian Keith, um, Billy Reid, and Graham Black. Now the three Irish people who have entered... I it doesn't sound quite right, maybe, beside uh, those two names, but I'll take it. I feel yeah. very honoured for that. Yeah. No, and it's, it's it's a great thing to, great accolade to have as well that you've done the Markley Marathon. Like, um, I'd be riding that one <laughs> until death. There's no <laughs> doubt about it. Oh, I don't, Barclay, I've done that there, yeah, a couple of times. Like, But Barclay Classic as well. So, are you in the Barclay yeah, Classic this year? Yes, yeah, I have a place in September for the Barclay Fall Classic as well, yeah. Are you heading uh, so over? If I, can make, if I can make the travel work, that'll happen. Yep, definitely will. Finally get that 50k cross. Yeah, so I'll be a virgin. Be nice. Um, make sure you bring your head torch. Graham, thanks very much. <laughs> thanks, Robbie. We finally got it done. Finally got it done. Thank you, Ben. Well, I have to say that episode relit my fire. I absolutely love the Barclay and the community that follows this race. Lazarus Lake has made the world a better place by designing these intense but quirky races that push us beyond our own limits, which just makes us better people all around. It seems like a lifetime since I put out an episode. You can tell a bit chesty in a minute, just recovering after the dreaded you-know-what. Um, but thanks to everybody for still tuning in. I'll do my best to keep knocking out episodes where I can now that the world of racing has finally got back onto its feet. A short episode with Harvey Lewis up next. So until then, you know it, guys. Stay safe and keep on moving. <laughs>